0: Greetings and welcome to Etzheim's Weekly Podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Amen. And so because of the number of families outside, I hope a lot of you are watching on YouTube, on our live stream channel today, and so welcome to you as well. Uh, and uh, we are uh, continuing our series on the book of Mark. Uh, today is part 21. And we're going to look today at the famous account of the Mount of Transfiguration. uh, And also the subsequent account uh, of the man who asked Yeshua to help him in his unbelief. So turn with me to, to Mark 9, beginning in verse 2. Mark 9, verse 2 through 29. It's a lengthy passage. After six days, Yeshua took Peter, James, and John with him. And led them up to a high mountain where they were alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before him Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Yeshua. Peter said to Yeshua, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, uh, one for you, one for Moses, uh, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what he was saying. He was so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone except Yeshua. As they were coming down the mountain, Yeshua gave them orders uh, not to tell anyone what they've seen. Until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves. And listen to this. Discussing what risen from the dead meant. (laughs) So so they, they still didn't get it. It's in the way here. And they asked him, why did the Torah teachers say that, that Eliyahu must come first? Yeshua replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they've done to him everything they wished, just as it's written about him. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the Torah teachers arguing with them. Uh, as soon as all the people saw Yeshua, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I, I, brought, uh, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit who has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not you unbelieving generation Yeshua replied how long shall I stay with you how long shall I put up with you bring the boy to me so they brought him when the spirit saw Yeshua it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion uh, the boy fell to the ground rolling around foaming at the mouth Yeshua asked uh, the boy's father how long has he been like this from childhood he answered "It has often thrown him into the fire or or the water to kill him But if you you can do anything, uh, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Yeshua, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Yeshua saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. He says, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Yeshua took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Yeshua had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Amen. This account of the transfiguration is spectacular a very famous account absolutely spectacular uh but what does it actually mean uh what are we supposed to learn from this so on the overhead let's ask let's ask three questions of this text number one uh what are we supposed to learn from the transfiguration number two why do we need to learn it and three how do we activate or access How, how do we use what we've learned So first, uh, on the overhead again, uh, what do we learn from the transfiguration? We learn two astonishing things. We learn that Yeshua is the object of worship. And that he's the secret of worship. So first, he's the object of worship. 3,500 years ago, uh, the Exodus, Moses, (laughs) Mount Sinai. For six days, the Lord's cloud of glory covers the mountain. Moses ascends with his three companions, uh, Aaron, Edab, and Abahu. Uh, on the seventh day, the Lord calls up Moses alone to come up higher. God comes down on Mount Sinai. We see the mountain uh, on the mountain this cloud. Uh, the Lord comes down on a cloud. He speaks out of the cloud the voice of God. Everyone's afraid. Moses goes up to the mountain. Uh, he begs to see God's glory. He says, show me your glory, uh, uh, your perfect, brilliant, blight, uh, bright, infinite greatness, uh, your, your unimaginable beauty. Show me your glory. Exodus thirty-three nineteen, And the Lord said, I'll cause all my goodness to pass before you. But you cannot see my face, uh, for no one may see me and live. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I remove my hand and you'll see my back. But my face must not be seen. So Moses is not able uh, to see the glory of God. But just getting near to this glory caused Moses' face to shine with reflected glory uh, for a number of days. Now, centuries later, also after six days, a prophet like unto Moses and three disciples climb up a high mountain there's glory again Yeshua transfigured Uh, the word here is metamorpho from which we get our word metamorphosis Uh, his face shines like the sun Uh, Mark 9 verse 3 his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them and like Moses the disciples find themselves enveloped in this cloud of glory dazzling brightness Uh, heavenly glory Uh, like Moses, they hear the voice of God speaking out of this cloud. Like Moses, Yeshua begins to radiate the glory of God. And who should they encounter Well, on the mountain? But Moses himself uh, and Elijah. Elijah, the only other person in the Bible to ever have ascended Mount Sinai to hear the voice of God speaking to him from the top of the mountain. Elijah now also appears on the mountain. Uh, so in one sense, this is Mount Sinai all over again. With Yeshua being the promised prophet like unto Moses. uh, Whom we are commanded to listen to. But in, in another more profound sense. It's not like Mount Sinai all over again. Because there's an astounding difference. Moses reflected the glory of God. Like the moon reflects the light of the sun. But Yeshua produces the glory of God the glory of God emanates from him he's the source of it uh, the unsurpassable unapproachable uh, glory of God comes from him he is the glory of God and if we read this in, Ryan, in Hebrews 1.3 the sun is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word on the overhead uh, Yeshua therefore does not Point to the glory of God like Moses and Elijah do, he is the glory of God in human form. Yeshua uh, is the expression, uh, the, the unsurpassable, uh, uh, unexp- unex- unsurpassable expression of the infinite, overwhelming superlativeness of the glory and the beauty of God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Indeed, in reference to this event, uh, John writes, uh, John in John 1 14, we beheld his glory. Uh, the glory of the, the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Yeshua is the glory of God. In human form. Uh, and this destroys. By the way. This destroys any middle ground. Of, of what people can think of him. Uh, he's not just a teacher to be followed. Because he claims to be so much more. On the overhead. And if he is. Who he claims to be. You must center your entire life around him uh, you must make him the object of your soul's ultimate worship so number one he's the, uh, he, uh, he's the object of worship number two Yeshua is also the secret of worship uh, because there's a second thing that happens here uh, that's never happened on Mount, never happened on Mount Sinai uh, and it's astounding uh, the glory of God uh, is in a cloud this the shekhinah glory Uh, When God comes down on Mount Sinai, uh, he came down in a cloud called the the glory of God, the Shekinah glory. uh, And and on Mount Sinai, he speaks from the cloud. And it represents his presence. And this is what everyone has always said was fatal. Uh, When God said to Moses, you may not look upon my face and live. uh, What he was saying was this. He was saying there's an infinite gap between deity and humanity. uh, A chasm. The Lord saying, you can't take my reality. Uh, you can't take my holiness. Uh, you, you can't take my glory. It'll destroy you. Uh, and this is why Peter's scared here on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's scared to death. Indeed, the text says he was so scared, he didn't even know what he was saying. Uh, he's scared to death. He says this in Mark 9, verse 5. Rabbi, let us put up three shelters. Uh, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah and the commentators debate what this means uh, because the the Greek word used here is the word skene which can actually mean three different Hebrew words it can mean uh, ohel, a tent uh, or sukkah, a booth or or mishkan, a tabernacle the festival of Sukkot uh, uniquely symbolizes the messianic era so Peter's offer to build three sukkahs a sukkot uh, for Messiah and for his messianic era guests uh, seems to make sense but I think it makes a bit more sense to translate this word as tabernacle, uh, mishkan. Uh, when God's glory came down on Mount Sinai, they immediately then built the mishkan. They built the tabernacle uh, where God's presence would then dwell in their midst. You know, all religions have, have always understood uh, that there's an infinite gap between God and man. Uh, And therefore, all religions have temples and tabernacles filled with priests and sacrifices uh, and rites and and rituals to obey and and to transform your consciousness, uh, to take away your sins. Something to mediate, something uh, to protect you from the presence of God, uh, to mediate over this gap. And so what Peter is actually saying is, I need something to protect us. I need a tabernacle. Uh, We need to set up these sanctuaries to protect us from the presence of God. Uh, And then something shocking happens. Uh, Something shocking uh, because we're told that that this cloud appears and envelops them. Uh, The voice of God comes from within the cloud. This is the Shekinah glory of God, the glory cloud. Uh, And the voice of God says in Mark 9 verse 7, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And they didn't die. They did not die. How can this be? Uh, and here's the answer the next verse, Mark 9, verse 8. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Yeshua. Moses is gone, uh, Elijah's gone. They saw no one but Yeshua. Yeshua's not just the God on the other side of the gap, Yeshua is the bridge over the gap. Yeshua is the temple and the tabernacle. To end all temples and tabernacles. Because he's a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. uh, And the priest to end all priests. Through him the infinite beauty and glory of God uh, can envelop you without destroying you. Because when the the cloud came down, uh, it wasn't just that they didn't die. But it was worship. They were surrounded by the brilliance of God. Uh, They were surrounded by, by the reality of God they were embraced by it uh, uh, and they heard the glory of God speak uh, uh, of the father's love for the son which is the gospel and suddenly uh, this manifestation of God goes away and they realize that Yeshua is able to give them what even Moses and Elijah can't give Moses and Elijah function as the, as the two required witnesses we got requisite witnesses required by Torah law we read in, in Malachi 4 verse 4 Remember the Torah of Moses, my servant. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. But the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Moses and Elijah represent the Torah and the prophets. Which testify of Yeshua. Indeed, on the road to Emmaus, we read this in Luke 24, 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Yeshua explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Elijah comes as the forerunner of Messiah. And Messiah comes as a prophet like unto Moses. And in the parallel passage in Luke 9, uh, 31, we're told that Moses and Elijah, they came to speak to Yeshua on this mountain uh, about his departure. Literally in the Greek, his exodus, uh, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Yeshua as the second Moses dies at Passover to accomplish the ultimate exodus, the ultimate exodus of all, the deliverance from sin and death itself. Uh, and after delivering this message, Moses and Elijah then fade away in light of the surpassing glory of Yeshua. For he's even greater than Moses and Elijah. Uh, no one else could do what he did. Uh, through Yeshua, you can come into the very heart of the universe. Through Yeshua, you can enter into true worship. Worship is the foretaste of the thing that all our hearts are longing for. Whether we know it or not, we are longing for it in our art. <laughs> uh, we're longing for it in our romance. Uh, we're longing for it in the arms of our spouse. C.S. Lewis, in the overhead, he puts it like this in The Weight of Glory. He says, We have a sense that in this universe we're strangers. Uh, our longing to be acknowledged. Uh, to to meet uh, with some kind kind of response uh, to bridge some chasm uh, that yawns between us and reality it's part of this inconsolable secret and surely from this point of view the promise of glory becomes highly relevant to our deepest desire for glory means good report with God acceptance by God response acknowledgement and welcome into the very heart of things At present, we're on the outside, the wrong side of the door. But all the pages of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. The door at which we've been knocking all our lives will open at last. Apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia... Uh, our longing to be, to be reunited with something in the universe uh, with which we, we now feel that, that we're cut off uh, this is no near, mere neurotic fantasy but this is the truest index of our real situation wow you see worship is not just believing you know Peter, James and John they already believed in God before they went up to the mountain uh, Peter had already confessed Yeshua is the messiah But here on the mountain, they now sensed it. Uh, They experienced it. Uh, They entered into this truth. Uh, They saw it. They were surrounded by the reality of it. The very presence of God enveloped them. It was a worship experience. And that's a foretaste of what C.S. Lewis says all of us are looking for. Someday, to be sitting at Yeshua's feet... Coming into his arms, leaning your head against his breast, someday being literally embraced by him and surrounded and enveloped by his love, will be welcome into the very heart of things, into the heart of the universe. Yeshua is the secret. He's not just the object of our worship, he's also the secret of our worship. That's point number one, what we learn from the trans from the transfiguration. But then almost immediately uh, we see how practical this is uh, on the overhead, because uh, the second thing we learn is we see why we need to know this. Uh, and to get at this, we've got to look at it at the second account of Yeshua's healing uh of this demon-possessed boy, which happens immediately after the transfiguration. The disciples have had this mountaintop experience, a, a literal mountaintop experience. <laughs> Uh, and as soon as they come off the mountain, uh, they're plunged into confusion and evil. Uh, there's a demon. Uh, uh, and what's most interesting, uh, there are, there's all these problems that they're immediately plunged into. People are arguing about how to heal this boy. The Pharisees and the Torah teachers are arguing with the disciples. The disciples are trying to cast out a demon. It's not working. The disciples are surrounded by evil. Everyone's confused. They don't have the ability to, to handle these challenges. Uh, so, so they come off the mountain immediately they're plunged into the situation and then by the way the same thing happens in the book of Exodus Right? Moses comes down Mount Sinai what's happened? everyone's worshipping the golden calf and we learn here that mountaintop experiences are episodic and important but temporary because basically life is a journey to the cross look at Mark 9.9 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Yeshua gave them orders, not to tell anyone what they've seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Why? Well, for one practical reason, until the resurrection, who's even going to believe this account of the transfiguration? On the overhead, what is transfiguration? It's a foretaste of the resurrection. It's a glimpse of it. It's a foretaste of the second coming. But it's just a foretaste. Uh, an episode. Uh, it happens at a specific uh, one-time event. But life in general is a journey to the cross. A journey to Jerusalem where the Son of Man must suffer and die. So Yeshua, he has this mountaintop experience uh, uh, of the love of God. Which fortifies and empowers him for, for his journey to the cross. But Yeshua is, what, we, what Yeshua is saying here is that this is true for all of us. As well. Life is a long journey. Yeshua tells us. That in this world. You will have suffering. In this world. You will have tribulations. In this world. uh, You'll have struggles. And challenges. But you know. We like to. We don't like that do we? We push back on this. Uh, In fact last week. We looked at how. Yeshua said. I must suffer and die. And immediately. Peter goes crazy. He says. Hold on. No. 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 Yeshua. That's not the program. We're supposed to go from strength to strength. We're supposed to put down our enemies. Uh, He actually rebukes Yeshua. And then Yeshua has to rebuke him. Now here in in chapter 9, verse 9, Yeshua again refers to his death, right? He he mentions the resurrection, which means he's also referring uh, to his death as well. Now Peter wants to push back again. But this time he's more subtle. Uh, uh, this time he's more circumspect. He's more indirect. Uh, so he says this in Mark 9 verse 11. Why do the Torah teachers say that Elijah must come first? Indeed Malachi says Elijah will return. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Uh, when God will put down his enemies. When God will establish his kingdom. Uh, and Peter in effect what he's really saying. Peter saying. Hey we just saw Elijah on the mountain. Elijah's here. Uh, this must mean the day of the Lord's at hand. So take over, Yeshua. Establish your kingdom. Put down your enemies. Forget all this suffering talk. You don't need to suffer. And what does Yeshua say? Mark 9, verse 12. Yeshua replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. But why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they've done to him everything they wished, just as it's written about him. Yeshua was saying the new Elijah was John the Immerser, John the Baptizer. Uh, and he has come, uh, and he's suffered, and he's died. And I'm the new Moses, uh, and I'm not just going to lead our, the people out of political bondage, like the old Moses. Uh, I'm going to deliver from sin and death itself. But I've also got to suffer. So what he's saying to us, when he says, he's saying this to us as well, when he says, oh, slow of heart. (laughs) Slow of heart to believe. Oh, foolish generation. He's talking not just to his disciples, but to all of us. He's talking to you and to you and to me. And he's saying, why isn't suffering in your program? Anytime suffering comes up, uh, the idea that to follow me, you're going to have to suffer. Every time this comes up, you freak out. But in this world, you will have tribulation. And the only way I can come into this world and save it is to go through suffering to greatness. I'm here, Yeshua says, going through suffering to greatness. And if you want to follow me, you have to go through suffering as well as a path to greatness. But every time you see there's suffering involved, every time uh, I let suffering happen to you, Yeshua says, you know, every time it looks like following me means suffering, you freak out. You say, no, 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 Lord. Oh, you should never let this happen to me. Isn't that what we say? Why is God letting this happen to me? I'm the overhead. But in this world, Yeshua says, I've told you, contrary to all the prosperity preachers out there, <laughs> you will have tribulation. You will have suffering. The road to greatness in my kingdom goes through the cross and the overhead. Therefore, there's only one question. Will this tribulation, will this suffering make you wiser and deeper and stronger and sweeter? Or will it make make you bitter and hard and joyless? Will it drive you closer to me, Yeshua asks, or farther away from me? Will it make you more compassionate towards others? Or harder and more cynical towards people? In this world, you will have tribulation. But there's a way of going through the suffering to greatness, like me. If you follow me, and then you will too. Okay, so what's the key? Uh, What will keep your tribulation and your suffering from turning you hard? And instead, turn you into something great. And the answer is worship. Worship. If you come off your mountaintop experience, uh, remembering the reality of it, even though most of the time you don't have these direct experiences of glory. If you remember this, nonetheless, if you faithfully enter into worship, your suffering can help mature your faith. It can draw you closer to Yeshua. It can turn you into gold. Uh, It'll turn you into something great instead of into something hard. Now we don't like to admit that, that in this world we'll have tribulation. We like to think that we like to think if we're savvy, if we're moral, we can avoid suffering and tribulation. We think all I have to do is confess all known sin uh, and live according to biblical principles on the overhead. But Yeshua says there's no greater biblical principle than I took up the cross. You must take up your own cross. The world hated me. The world will hate you. I had to suffer in order to get to greatness and resurrection. And so will you. There is no greater biblical principle. And therefore, Yeshua is saying, you've got to sometimes have access through worship to the very presence of God. Uh, You've got to experience and taste my greatness. uh, What what the Father has done and is doing through me, uh, through the person and work of Yeshua. You need, like the disciples, a foretaste of the resurrection, a foretaste of the second coming, a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth, because your life is one long journey to the cross. And Yeshua says, if you have that foretaste and you worship me in the midst of your tribulation, it'll make you into something great. That's point number two, why we need to why we need to learn from the transfiguration. Uh, the overhead here, number three. Now, how can we have access to the presence of God through Yeshua? How can we have these foretastes? Uh, how can worship transform you? Three things we learn from, from this, the last incident in this passage. Uh, about Yeshua healing this demon-possessed boy. The disciples, they're trying to cast out this demon. But as pointed out by, by the last verse from the passage, uh, they're trying to exorcise this demon without praying. Or according to some versions, some manuscripts, without praying and fasting. How do the disciples think that they have power to cast out this demon on their own without praying to God for his power? We also see the Torah teachers there uh, arguing with the disciples. Only one figure in this entire scene is acknowledging his weakness. Only one figure is admitting he doesn't have what it takes to handle the the suffering and the difficulties and the struggles in his life. That's the father of the boy. The father begs for Yeshua to heal his son. And Yeshua says, I can if you believe. Look at Mark 9, 22. Uh, but, but, But if you, Yeshua, can do anything, the father says, take pity on us and help us. If you can, says Yeshua, everything's possible for the one who believes. The father says, I'm riddled with doubts. Look at Mark 9, 24. Immediately, the the boy's father explained, I do believe, help my unbelief. The father says, I'm trying to believe, but I'm riddled with doubts. So Yeshua says, if you believe, I can heal your son. And the father says, I do believe, but I'm also riddled with doubts. And then Yeshua heals his son. What do we learn here? Three very important things about accessing the presence of God. Uh, number one, the overhead. Number one, helplessness, not holiness, is the first step to accessing the presence of God. Now, Yeshua doesn't say to this man, "But oh, I'm the glory of God in human form. Even though he clearly is, as we just saw in the modern transfiguration. Yeshua doesn't say, I'm God in the flesh. How dare you come before me with your doubts? <laughs> purify your heart confess all known sin get rid of all your doubts go away uh, and when you've really surrendered to me totally and, and worked out all your doubts out of your heart uh, then you can come before me or with a pure heart and then you can ask for your son's healing now thank God that's not what Yeshua says because Yeshua is telling us that saving faith isn't saying I'm faithful now bless me You see, when you say, I've lived a faithful life, now bless me, that's faith in you. Uh, That's being your own Savior and Lord. That's not faith in Him. But to say like this boy's father, I'm not faithful. I'm riddled with doubts. Uh, I can't muster the strength necessary to meet my moral and spiritual challenges. But help me, Lord. That's saving faith. To say, I don't have faith, I'm riddled with doubt, I'm not faithful, but help me. That is, that is faith in Yeshua, instead of faith in you. And Yeshua says, when you say that, my power is released in your life. Because now you have faith, not in yourself, but in me. On the overhead. Remember the absolute difference between all the religions of the world, uh, uh, and Messianic Yeshua faith, on the overhead. Uh, Religion says, you give God a good record, and then God owes you a blessing. But Messianic faith, Yeshua faith, says God gives you an infinite cost to himself, a perfect record, through Yeshua, by grace, and then you gladly live for him. Absolute difference. Totally different. Religion says, look, I'm holy, I'm faithful, I've gotten rid of my doubts, Uh, you've got to bless me, you've got to answer my prayers. But here's a man who says, I don't have faith. Uh, I'm flooded with doubts. Uh, I don't have what it takes, but I'm coming to you, Lord, anyways. And I'm asking for your help. And Yeshua says, I can work with that. Because that is saving faith. It's saying, accept me, not because of what I am, but because of who you are. So the first step to accessing God's presence is not holiness, but helplessness on the overhead. Second step is if you want to handle this journey of life, this journey to the cross, you've got to bring Yeshua your precious things, your most precious things. Even though it looks like he's, it's going to make everything worse if you do this. when the, When this father puts his son in Yeshua's hands, he's giving Yeshua the most precious thing in his life. And what's the first thing Yeshua does? He casts the demon out, yes. But then apparently it seems to make things worse. Uh, Look at Mark 9, 26. The evil spirit shrieked, convulsed the boy violently, came out of him. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. The first thing that happens when Yeshua begins to deal with the father's most precious thing is it looks like he's making everything worse. But of course, that's not the end of the story, right? Because in the end, uh, the boy is just fine. And it may be the same in your life. You'll give your life to Yeshua and things may get worse. But please know you are in his hands. And in the end, he will surely vindicate and restore and bless you. Now, in this passage, which person or people are the most likely to say, Yeshua, you won't fail here. You know, I don't know exactly what you're doing, but I know in the end it'll be all right. Well, the most likely people to have this confidence, of course, are Peter, James, and John. They just saw him on the mountain, transfigured. They saw the dazzling light. They saw the glory of God. They saw Yeshua transformed. Now they're looking at Yeshua. No dazzle anymore down the mountain, but they remember. They have it in their hearts. So even if everyone else is freaking out, Peter, James, and John, they should have confidence now uh, in what Yeshua can do. So, you must give Yeshua your most precious things. You must not hold on too tightly to these these precious things as your ultimate value. Why do you think Moses went to the mountain and said, let me see your glory? The glory, the Hebrew word is kavod. uh, Literally, means weight, significance, importance. And we are all... Glory starved. We're all fighting for a sense. Uh, uh, that we're not important. We're fighting a sense that we're not important. Uh, that we have nothing to offer. Uh, that we're insignificant. And so, so, and so we need people to love us. We need family. Uh, we, need, we need to help other people. And it's great to help the poor. Uh, and to properly raise your family. Uh, and to have deep loving relationships. Uh, and to do well in your job. And to achieve something. And to make a difference in this world. But if you're doing it to get glory. To convince yourself that you're okay. If if any of these precious things are the ultimate source of your significance. Or your security. Then when things go wrong in your life. And they will. If any of these precious things are threatened. or, Or taken away. You won't just be sad or hurt, Uh, you'll be despondent, you'll be devastated, Uh, you'll be helpless and hopeless, and experience meaninglessness. And only if Yeshua isn't someone you just know is important, uh, but you sometimes sense, sense it, you sense who he is, you'll be able to surrender your most precious things to Yeshua. You see, worship is like this, this is the definition of worship. You, know, you may be told something is beautiful or something you may, you, may, you may be told someone is beautiful And you believe it But when you actually see them in person You go wow What's happened? Did you get more information? No But now you have a direct sense uh, An experience What previously you only knew abstractly uh, And indirectly Or someone says This restaurant is the greatest restaurant It's unbelievable And you believe them You believe it's an incredible restaurant. But then you actually go there. And you experience the atmosphere and the decor and the service and, of course, the food. And you go, wow, this is an amazing restaurant. Now, what's happened? Did you get any new information? No. But you now actually are experiencing it. You have a direct sense of it on the overhead. In the same way, it's one thing to know that God loves you. It's one thing to know the glorious God, the creator of the universe, loves you and cares for you. But it's another whole thing to actually sense it, to experience it. And that's what your quiet time with the Lord, and that's what your corporate worship is designed to do. If you don't sense it, if you don't make your daily quiet time with the Lord a priority, if you don't truly enter into corporate worship... Then these other things in your life that you look to, all these other things you start looking to then as functionally for your glory. You're going to look to them for your glory on the overhead. But if Yeshua is someone who you sometimes really experience, sometimes really feel and sense his presence, then that still small voice and that internal witness of the spirit. And sometimes in your quiet time, in your corporate worship, you really experience his love and his greatness and his reality. And these other things, your most precious things, become something you can just enjoy, but not build your whole life on. And therefore, you're never going to get through life. You're never going to be able to give to him your most precious things. You're never going to trust him during the hard times until you find uh, that suffering Uh, You're never going to be able to find that suffering makes you wiser and deeper and stronger and sweeter. No, it's going to make you harder and more bitter. Unless you know how to trust him with your most precious things. And worship helps you do that. So in the overhead. Okay, the third thing we learn here. To see what Yeshua sacrificed for you. When the cloud came down on the disciples. They heard uh, God say to Yeshua, you are my son, I love you. And then he commands the disciples to listen to him. Listen to Yeshua. This divine declaration. It seems to echo many other uh, verses in scripture. So for example. Psalm 2 verse 7. The Lord says to, to the Messiah. You're my son. Today I've begotten you. Uh, and the rabbis acknowledge this as, as a messianic verse. A messianic psalm. We hear the same echo in Genesis 22 too. Where the Lord says to Abraham. Take now your son. Your only son. The one whom you love. Yitzah, isaac and go to the land of moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering the lord tells the disciples to listen to him to listen to yeshua mark 9 7 this is my son whom i love listen to him and in the same way deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, speaking of the messiah the lord says i will raise up a prophet from among your countrymen like you moses i'll put my words in his mouth you shall you shall listen to him And most of all, this is what the Lord is speaking to us today. He's saying, It's Chaim, listen to my son, in whom I'm well pleased. At the heart of the glory of God is the love of the father for his son. And on the mountain, the disciples are enveloped in this glory. They're surrounded by this love, uh, uh, that ultimate experience. Uh, that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about when he says this on the overhead he says what is glory it's welcome into the very heart of things it's the applause uh, the approval the acknowledgement of God now on the cross in the gospel of Mark Yeshua doesn't call God father when he's on the cross which he does at the other time instead he says this in Mark 1534 my God my God why have you forsaken me on the overhead On the mountain, on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, he's surrounded by God. But on the cross, he's forsaken. On the mountain, uh, he's embraced uh, and clothed with the love of God and the light of God. But on the cross, he's naked and in the dark. Why did he do that? In Romans 8, 16, we read this. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit, sometimes, that we are children of God. Here's what the scriptures are saying. Sometimes through the Holy Spirit, you, uh, you can hear God make this same statement of unconditional, permanent, intimate love for you. Sometimes you could actually experience this. Uh, that's what the Mount of Transfiguration means. That's so what Romans 8 is saying. You know, if you're a believer, our spirits bear witness with his spirit that we're his children. Sometimes you go to the mountaintop. Sometimes you just don't know about God's love. But you actually sense it. You experience it. You actually sense in your heart. God saying. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. You say. I'd love to have that experience. Well if you see Yeshua losing. The embrace of God's love. Losing his sonship. On the cross. For you. To the degree that you see that. And you embrace that. And it moves you. To that degree, you do begin to experience your own sonship. And to that degree, you begin to hear his declaration. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. So on the overhead, number one, you access God's presence through helplessness. Not holiness at first. Number two, you give Yeshua your most precious things. And three, you see Yeshua losing everything so that you can gain it. Then sometimes you do go to the mountain. And when you're on the mountain, and when you're not on the mountain, uh, you wait. When you're not on the mountain, you trust. And you'll be able to handle the disappointments and the frustrations and the sufferings of life. And those times of suffering, that will actually make you great. Amen. Let's stand and pray. And that had to come on up. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today for your word. Thank you, Yeshua, that you are the second Moses. You are the final Redeemer. You're the one who brings the true exodus and the true deliverance, Lord, from sin and death itself. Yeshua, you are the radiance of the glory of God. The exact representation of his being. Like Moses, Lord, we pray to you today. Show us your glory. Let us be transformed by it. You're God's beloved son, in whom he's well pleased. Help us to listen to you and obey you and follow you. Moses reflected the glory of God like the moon reflects the light of the sun. But you, Yeshua, are the glory of God. The glory of God in human form. And therefore, we must center our whole life on you. We must make you, Yeshua, the object of our worship. Moses and Elijah, they fade away in the light of your brilliance. Moses and Elijah, uh, the law and the prophets, they point to you, Yeshua. It's the promised Messiah. Lord, you are the final sacrifice to end all sacrifices. You are the tabernacle. You are God's presence uh, incarnate in our midst. Lord, envelop us in your presence. We worship you. Through you, Yeshua, we enter into true worship. The door we've been knocking on all our lives is to dwell in God's presence. And through you, Yeshua... That door is open. Help us to experience your presence today, Yeshua. Help our unbelief. We believe. Help our unbelief. Increase our faith. We long to be be enveloped uh, and, and surrounded by your love. For that's the heart of worship. Lord Yeshua, we know that life is a long journey to the cross. Help us daily then, therefore, to deny ourselves. And to take up our cross. And to follow you we pray this all in your name. Hashem Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.